0: Kia ora koutou and I'm delighted to be here today in Paero College in the lovely Hauraki and I'm joined by Principal Amy Hacker. Amy, pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here today and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Wonderful. So let's dive right into it. So one, the, the key thing I'm here to talk about really is attendance. And as we know, schools up and down the country are struggling with attendance, have been for some time, and COVID hasn't helped matters. Is that a challenge here at Paero College, would you say?
1: Attendance is absolutely a, a challenge everywhere in In New Zealand right now, as you'll be aware, attendance rates nationally are worse than they've been since 2015, since we really have reliable data. Having said that, things here at Padua College um, are ticking along. We've got on average, uh, our average attendance on a daily basis is somewhere between 85 and 90 percent, which is actually very good, especially for um, a rural area and given the demographics of our students. So what were some of the
0: barriers to coming back to school around think, let's think about COVID situation. How how has it been on the ground here for, for getting kids back engaged um, with their learning?
1: Yeah, to be honest, we've had to work really hard at it. And that's the reality. The barriers are as individual as our students. So for some of them, there was an increased awareness of of illness and a reluctance to come to school for being exposed to various bugs. There's also been an increase in awareness about, of staying home when you are sick. And that's you know, that's been a, a flow-on effect from, from COVID. Uh, we've, we do have, I think it's so complex, really. Mm-hmm. And I can reflect on our school in particular, but I think, it's, I think it would be pretty common. Uh, a lot of kids got out of the habit of school. And, uh, you know, with the number of lockdowns, with um, sort of a blended learning where some learning is happening in a virtual basis, some in person, um, that that led to an increase in anxiety. I know even for myself, you know, when we were in lockdown for a month or so, when I went back into the supermarket, it felt a little overwhelming to have so many people around me. And so I think we have experienced that, some school reluctance. and those are things that we can do something about. So we've got um, we've got great student-centered programs here. Everything from school lunches to um, engaging classes to period products available. To this week, we're having a big Matariki celebration. So we really do work hard to make this this school a safe place and a place that our kids want to come. So those are all things we can control. The the things that we really can't control that are happening now have to do with family situation. So we have a number of our, our families who have, are going, are doing it hard financially. And so their kids are working outside of, um, outside of school hours. So they might um, work late into the evening and not get to bed until quite late. And that might mean that they come into school late, or they're looking after siblings who are, are, you know, getting those kids to, to school so their parents can work. So their family situations are really complex here. And those are things that um, we can identify and we can try to to, to have some agency around, but we can't always fix it. So
0: for those factors that you can't control, I mean, I had a little nosy on your Facebook page, actually, your school Facebook page, and saw that there was quite a lot of connection with your wider community. And do you lean into those um, external agencies and community support where possible to help with those, those things?
1: Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. So we have really good partnerships with a lot of our local agencies, and we also—I think it's pretty unique here at the college. We have all of our staff, including me, have a little kit—a little group of um, eight to ten students that we have responsibility for following up on their attendance, so that we are making those phone calls home. We're, we're finding out what the barriers are, if there are any, and doing what we can to rectify those. Excellent. And then if we look at the things that you can control, I know you're doing some
0: exciting stuff here, and that's one of the reasons why I, I, I'm visiting, actually. Let's talk about, you mentioned the free period products, and I know that your school was involved in the first phase of the trial for that. Firstly, is there a real need uh, for for that initiative to be in your school, in your school community particularly? Uh, and how has how has the, the trial helped?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I would say it's no longer a trial for us. It's quite embedded. Um, period poverty is a real thing here. I know that there um, there were a number of girls um, who wouldn't come to school uh, when they were menstruating. And we've run some focus groups to try to get to get to that. And really a lot of it was around insecurity around purity pr- period products. So the girls um, access those um, really regularly. I um, was talking to a, a group of girls on the student council quite recently. And you know, they're what they're saying is that they're not purchasing period products anymore and they get them from here at school. It's been really embraced by our students.
0: That's fantastic. And um, have you seen that reflected in your attendance rates
1: that you mentioned Earlier. Well, you know, we're I think we're into our second year now, so it's it's we're not having any immediate data. But what we did notice when I ran the numbers in the first term that we had the period products right when it was a new kind of a trial was that we had put a number of um, it, those period products came in right around the time our school lunches came in, and so there was an increase in attendance rates across the board. But then I ran the girls versus the boys, and the girls' attendance was um, was an was an additional five to ten percent better than the boys in terms of the increase since prior to the lunches and the period products and that indicates to me that they are uh, affecting girls attendance rates.
0: Joined here by a group of students at Paaroa College, uh, girls how good is it having free period products at school? It's amazing it's super handy when you forget them. What about you? What, how, how good is it having them on to access like this? Yeah it's very good you know you can just come in and ask for them and you get them so it's pretty handy. Excellent. And and for, for students who might, you know, it might be a struggle to afford period products, like how good is it in terms of knowing that that doesn't need to be an issue um, that you can get them at school? Um, yeah, I think it's a great opportunity, you know, for because they are expensive for such a product that we need, you know, very regularly. So it's
2: good. At am I Gernick, and I work in the health and PE side. Oh, definitely a good initiative. I think um, for our families, um, being able to provide those products, you know, can be a bit hard and challenging so for them for our woman to be able to get them free at school and just have no questions asked you know takes that stigma away of even having a period as a woman so yeah it's, it's a great initiative
0: and what about your male students here do you think it's um, opened the doors for conversation around it and, and you mentioned reducing that stigma yeah. um, acknowledging that uh, you know it's it's a reality for half the population here
2: well, definitely. And, and you know, they, they have sisters, they have mums. I actually haven't heard anything negative um, in regards to our uh, young boys. Um, I think that it is a part of life and, and having that life through school, um, it just brings it to everybody as opposed to just the woman, And, and, and they support our women and our young girls. And it's it's just about supporting each other.
0: Tell us a little bit about the Healthy School Lunches. I'm curious to know what impact that has had on on your student population here.
1: Yeah, um, you know that old, that, that funny old joke that says, "Oh, I just went to school to eat my lunch." <laughs> it's sort of a thing. Um, of course, once you get the first step to having students engage in education is getting them physically here, and so um, the lunches have made a, a difference to our, our attendance for sure. Um, we also have a breakfast club that runs every morning that um, is before school, and you know has some uh, some regular attenders who come. So we make sure that our kids are fed in the morning if they need to be. There's morning tea available. And then there's lunch available. We run our lunch program in-house. I know there's a lot of schools who have outsourced that, but it's been really important to me to be able to employ locally, to be, be able to be responsive to our kids and our school and our community and what their nutritional needs are. also gives us the opportunity to do things like for Matariki to have a whole school hangi, which if you're outsourcing your school lunches, it's a little bit trickier to do. Um, so yeah, the kids, the, the kids do come to eat, uh, but I think even more so they're able to engage effectively in their learning because they're hungry.
0: Right. (laughs) (laughs) That comes down to that. And you mentioned being responsive, and um, I'm curious to know, outside of the lunches, what other initiatives um, that you've got going here? I I recall you talked about uh, you're really proud of your Māori medium pathway here, um, and that's a a sign of being responsive to the needs of um, part of your student population here. Can you tell me a bit about how that's developed over time?
1: Yeah, it's actually quite exciting. So I arrived here as a new principal in 2019 and began to engage with Hermana Fenua in a conversation around how their needs were and weren't being met here at the college. And one of the things that came through to me pretty loud and clear was the need for a rumaki, a Maori Immersion Pathway, one of our local primary schools, that um, basically that that pathway was ending when the students finished at that primary school in year eight, and either they went into English medium study or they went away from the Hauraki area for their secondary education, and the the families the Fano were really strongly advocating that the college put in a um, a Māori Immersion Pathway. And so in 2020, we opened the doors to a year 9 and 10 Rumaki, and then that now um, includes an NCEA pathway. So we have three NCEA classes taught um, exclusively in Tareo Māori, and then in addition to that, we have a um, a Teo Māori course, an NCEA Teo Māori course, and an an NCEA Maori tourism course, so a student can um, do most of their study over the uh, over the course of their um, NCA years in Te Reo Maori now, and that's that's huge and and really exciting. And so, um, actually, tomorrow night we've got another community consultation hui to um, make sure that we're refining that and to. Uh, deliver on our graduate profile for our Māori students, so that's exciting.
0: I'm joined here by Year 10 student Majestic. Now, I understand you're in the Rumaki class, is that right? Yes, I am. And is that a good, good option for you here? Do you enjoy being part of a, a Māori immersion pathway? Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Why do you love it? Um, I like interacting with other students in my class and learning more about our you know Māori side. Um, history and all that, and yeah. Had you come from a, um, a kura kopapa before this, or from a Māori immersion um, pathway before getting to Paerua College? Um, I went to Poro Central. We had a rumaki class there, and I was yeah in that, so yeah. If we circle back to attendance, where we started from, um, I know, Amy, you said you've got a number of staff off, and I'm sure... Teachers listening to this will be able to relate to this. It's been a it's been a, a real problem uh, throughout this year um, and over the last two years, I suppose. Um, what, what's the plan going forward as we, we continue to grapple with this? Is it to keep momentum up, to keep onto the stats, your data, keep students engaged? Do you have any sort of thoughts on how you're going to you keep going with this with this momentum?
1: Yeah, you know, it is a tricky one, and um, you know, I I know. I imagine a number of your listeners will have read the recently released on June 2022 attendance and engagement document from the Ministry of Education. And really, it's around getting kids in school, keeping them engaged, and then helping them to make meaningful progress in their learning. And I guess um, for us, the biggest thing is is that engagement piece. That we believe that kids will come to school if their families and, and they feel they're getting value out of being here. And so that means that we work hard every day to make this a place where kids want to be. And I'm a big believer that if you want to know what's going to get kids to school, you ask them and you ask their family. So a lot of times adults will, in my experience, will sit in a room and try to figure out how we're going to get these kids to school. But actually the biggest thing for us is really partnering with our community and seeing what is it that we can do better differently to um, encourage your kids to show up every day, to be here, to be thriving the way that we want them to be. Perfect.
0: Amy Hacker, thank you. It's been a privilege talking to you today.